Hey builders, welcome to another episode of the People of Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Elliott. Today our guest is Justin Warden. Justin is the co-founder of Adder Gaming and a super interesting entrepreneur. He went through 500 startups, the Disney Accelerator, and was awarded a place in Forbes 30 Under 30 for gaming. He is a really cool guy. We had a really fun conversation talking about his entrepreneurial journey and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, so let's jump right in. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. I'm really excited to be featured on the podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited because, I'm. first of all, this is probably going to be weird for you. I'm not a gamer at all, so I'm going to have like a hard time with some of the context for the things that you're talking about, but I love to learn from people that do things that I don't know about. I think that that's usually when I learn the most, and I'm always intrigued blown away by how interested I can be in something that I had have no idea about. And so I think this is going to be really eye-opening for me and I'm excited to to learn from you. So before we we jump into getting into your brain, I'd just love to hear you tell the listeners who you are, what you're doing. Like what how do you spend your time and who is Justin? All right. Well my name is Justin Warden. I'm the founder of Adder. And I've been working on the project, the business that is for about five or six years now. We started in 2015, though we officially incorporated in 2016. And since then, we've grown pretty quickly. We went to the 500 Startups Accelerator. From there, we actually got accepted into the Disney Accelerator as probably the youngest group to ever do so. Uh, at the time, I was actually the youngest founder to be accepted into the Disney Accelerator. So that awesome. was really amazing things really blew up for us. So we became one of the biggest players in the space. And today we're known as probably the largest to the second largest in our industry. When it comes to esports and gaming management on the live streaming platforms like Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, we've really built out a niche for ourselves. So we're really pleased with the growth we've had and the opportunity to bring live streaming and competitive gaming to the mainstream media. Totally. So if you could tell me like kind of, you know how on Reddit they have that subreddit that's explaining it like I'm five. Can you explain it like I'm five? Yeah. What exactly Adder does? Sure. And I visit that subreddit a lot. So super helpful. Our job fundamentally is to help brands who are novices to the esports industry or who are very familiar integrate with and reach the audiences in the gaming community. Okay. And in our experience, the best tool and the best methodology to do that is to partner them with the content creators who inherently understand the community very well because they've built massive audiences that tune in to watch them game. Okay. And that's how our business originated. Brand-focused, helping brands come in and really see success by partnering them with these experts in the industry, the content creators. And then over time, what we discovered is some experts are much more of experts than others. They are easier to work with, professional, and they value partnerships with brands a lot more highly. So we decided, well, why are we focusing on just one side of the marketplace when we could focus on both? And we started, therefore, representing and managing some of those experts, helping to connect them with the brands we already worked with and building a whole happy little marketplace, an ecosystem where brands and talent can both find representation and partners in the industry. How did I do for uh, that's no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So the two sides, you have these content creators and then the other side is that 
gamers or is that gaming companies that you're connecting the two with? So I'd say on one side we have gaming personalities, whether okay. they be competitors, esports team, or just entertainers in the gaming entertainment scene. Okay. And the other side we have all of your brands. It can be publishers. These are companies like Blizzard Activision. These okay. are companies like Hi-Res or Epic. And then you also have your more endemic brands. These are companies like Razer or Intel. And then you have your non-endemic brands. These are brands like Hershey's. These are brands like Miller Lite. So we help facilitate those two sides of the marketplace and bring them together. Interesting. That's super cool. So what was the kind of that aha moment, if there was one behind thinking, okay, this is a big need. Let's start a company and try to solve it. Yeah. So like many entrepreneurs, I fell into success in the sense that we were trying really, really hard to find a niche to get our business off the ground, but nothing worked. For the first year after I dropped out of college, I worked at Starbucks with my partner and every single idea we had failed. And after a year, my old co-founder and old partner looked at me and said, why don't we do something in an industry that you're really passionate about, which is gaming. I was very focused on competitive gaming. I was one of the best Hearthstone players in the world. At the time, Hearthstone was the largest eSport on Twitch, or one of the largest. And because I was really enthusiastic about this, I think a few things occurred. One, I was willing to go further and sacrifice more to be part of this industry than maybe I would have for other industries. Yeah. And two, fundamentally already understood the language of the audience of people who were in this community because I watched Twitch and YouTube gaming content, you know, three to four hours a day, every day. Yeah. So that was where that vision came from. Just looking at each other and saying, we've made no money in a year. We either go back to college or we figure this out. Yeah. And from there, everything's speed up quickly. It's crazy when you find an avenue that works, how much success you can see. Even though you've tried everything in the past, nothing's worked and it feels like you're about to give up and then yep. a switch occurs and everything starts. So going in that room, the next thing that we did is we actually called up American Airlines and we said, I want American Airlines to sponsor us, three kids, to go out to TwitchCon, which was the first conference for live streaming and esports in the world at the time. And of course, American Airlines was like, there's no way. I mean, I just talked <laughs> to some low level yeah. employee. Then, and I called them back 14 more times. Sheesh. And on the 15th, I got through the manager and they sponsored three college students to fly out all the way to TwitchCon. And at TwitchCon, awesome. we were flat broke. Me and my old co-founders who've since left the company. And we wanted to wear, we wanted to draw attention. And we were like, how do we draw attention in a cheap way? Well, I'm a chunkier guy. And I decided that we buy these bright pink shirts at Walmart. And as a chunkier guy, these were fairly tight-fitting shirts. It was quite the spectacle. We took a <laughs> Sharpie in the back and said, talk to us and i know it sounds so silly but we left twitchcon with our first two clients awesome now those clients cost us thousands of dollars in losses to execute on because we were learning everything yep. and you know i was working at starbucks to support ourselves so we were barely making ends meet but it proved out that there was demand for this and from there we were able to apply to five startups we got on a call with them we said look management agency work has happened in every industry it's natural that it'll happen in esports and gaming at the time, 500 Startups was very interested in esports. They were always looking ahead to new ecosystems. We were one of the fortunate space. They made a small investment in us. We actually graduated the 500 Startups 
accelerator with an opportunity to work with Audi. Mm. And that was the first time that our company had ever spent in the esports space. So that got the attention of Disney. And then everything exploded after the partnership with Disney. Because suddenly we were legitimized. Disney had never invested in a company as small as ours before. And just putting Disney Accelerator in our bios of our emails drastically increased our response rate. And really put us on the map. There we met my current co-founder, Andrew Temkin, who is a really experienced seller. He came on board. And the rest was history. We went from you know three co-founders down to uh, two. And then up to eight to ten employees in that first year. Wow. Really, really crazy growth, and we've grown ever since. So that's kind of how those magical moments occur, but it was a lot of being at the right place at the right time, but also being willing to do anything. You know, that story about calling up American Airlines, it's indicative of, of the type of personality I think you need to have to be successful in entrepreneurship, which is this do-or-die mentality. You know, that first year, communally, I think I slept on the floor 280 nights of, of the At one point, there were five of us sleeping on the floor at once. Our Crazy. first workplace was my living room in my apartment. We'd stack eight people inside of there, all working constantly. When I was working with a client of ours um, out of Asia, they their hours were totally different. So at that time I was sleeping three hours a night and I got so sick that I had to go to the hospital every day to get a shot because I had a huge thyroid infection. And then I would get that shot, go home and work 12 hours and then do it all again the next day for weeks on end. Because that's the dedication that's required to scale a business and also see success. Man, I have so many questions. So the first, the first question, like seriously, so many questions. My mind's blown. So the first thing that you said is that you're working on a startup and then your former co-founder was like, hey, well, why don't we, we think about something that you're really interested in, you know? So then you started going into gaming. And then you talked about all of these really hard and crazy things that you did, like sleeping on the floor and packing eight people into an apartment living room to get the job done like that there's like the sexy side of entrepreneurship that you see on Instagram that's like man I'm hustling I'm so cool like entrepreneurship that and then there's what you did which is like the real entrepreneurship so do you think that you could have gone through that grind if you didn't like really care about and really love what you're doing yeah absolutely and I actually think that sleeping on the floor is the sexy side of entrepreneurship <laughs> I remember out 500 startups, and I looked at all the companies that were successful coming out of there and out of all the entrepreneurship mentor groups I was part of. It was always the people sleeping on the floor. It was always the ones in the office until five in the morning trying to figure out any lead that were successful. Success is based on a few things. One, it's your capability to be miserable. And this is the sexiest side of entrepreneurship for me. Really successful people understand that it's all about long-term gains. And they don't care if they're uncomfortable in the short term because one day they're going to be sitting on top and being able to make decisions. To me, that's the most fun part of entrepreneurship. Yeah. That's where relationships are built, where friendships are built that you'll never lose. It's, it's the type of skill sets that you develop that you now know you have a huge competitive advantage over the average employee, right? And, and that's why I think that's actually the sexiest part of entrepreneurship. A lot of people talk about the cars and all that stuff, but for me, that doesn't matter. For me, it's knowing in that, when push comes to shove, when we fit five people to a room in San Francisco because we couldn't afford more than that, right? 
we were successful. We learned skills. And we were able to sacrifice in the way other people were. And I credit that to our drive and our capability to be miserable. Also credit to the early team. Every team early on needs to have three people. It needs to have a workhorse, a salesperson, and a visionary. And my early team had that. We had Sahil who would do pretty much anything that was necessary. I was very passionate about sales and charismatic, so that was my skill set. And Ayana, my early co-founder, she had the vision. She was the one who told us to enter the space in the first place, and she view, really understood where the, the industry was going to go. As companies develop, that changes. Very early on, you need a lot more salespeople, and that's why we brought on Andrew Temkin, you know, our current president, who's an incredible uh, salesperson. And quickly, those two other co-founders, they found that their roles were less necessary, and they were able to move on to other things. But early on, having that right team is the most important part of success followed by the incredible desire to be miserable when other people want to be content. If you can sleep on a floor with five other people and wake up in the morning and say, this is the life I want, then I think you'll be successful in anything that you do. I love that. I love that. There's, I, I think that you're so right. If you are willing to, I don't know, if you want it more than other people and you want not just like the house on the hill and the fancy cars, but you want to like, do the dirty work. You want to sleep on the floor. You want to put in the 12 hour days with the thyroid infection. Then like you want it more than other people and you want the hard stuff when they just want the easy stuff. So you're like destined to win. That makes a lot of sense to me. Let's put a little further something that I think your, your listeners would learn, which is what I call the philosophy of success. I think that a lot of people early on are afraid to enter entrepreneurship, not because they're afraid of making very little money. A lot of people, for better or for worse, in our society grew up very impoverished and five people to a room might be their norm, right? Yeah. So it's not the sacrifice that they, they fear. It's the lack of success. They fear failure. And a lot of their friends and their family members tell them that failure is very likely in order to either protect them because they're afraid they're going to fail and they don't want to see them get hurt or because they're envious and they mm -hmm. want to keep them going. But the philosophy of success is simple. When you work really, really hard at something, people want to support you. It's like if you go to the races, a horse race, and you see this one thoroughbred horse that seems to have all the advantages. Sure, you might bet your money on that horse. Then you see this one other horse, and maybe it doesn't have the same advantages, it's a little bit smaller, clearly still needs some practice. But every single day, you see it running laps, 10 times as many laps as any of the other horses, and getting tons of practice with its trainer. Well, when the next race comes up, you might bet on that other horse. Sure, it was the runts of the group, but it was working way harder and you saw that work and you know that work pays off. It's the same thing with your friends, with your family, with investors. When you grind constantly, when other people would quit and when you're willing to put in tons of energy and effort into something, even when you're not seeing success, the people around you, the perspective of it starts to change. Suddenly they start to think, hey, maybe this person's onto something. This person doesn't quit. I want to support this person because if they're onto something, I want a piece of it. Yeah perspective change is what I call the philosophy of success. It's one of the most powerful elements of people who make it. It's that over time, we build our own support networks because people see us working really, really hard and they're inspired by us. But on top of that, they start to believe in us, even if we don't yet believe in ourselves. So a lot of your, your listeners might be like, I want to start my own business, but the odds are stacked against me. The odds are really not stacked against you. The fact is some businesses succeed, some businesses fail. But what's really stacked against you is the perspective, the perception yeah. of friends and family. You can change that perception by working really hard, by demonstrating that you're willing to go the distance when others won't, then you're really set for success. 
I love that. Like who doesn't want to support their friend that they see grinding 80 hours a week or like just doing all the right things like you love. We love to see that. We love an underdog story. There's a reason why like Rudy is one of the most beloved movies ever. It's because we love an underdog. We love to see somebody who's like underestimated, who is up against all the odds and who everyone thinks is going to fail. We love to see them succeed, especially when they work hard. So I love that. That's like so good. So good. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about um, the Disney Accelerator. What was that like? Life-changing. Eye-opening. You know, an opportunity that very few people get. You know, that and getting on the Forbes list are my two biggest achievements to date. And I can't take credit for the Disney Accelerator. Most of that was Ayana's doing. She put a lot of energy and time into building those relationships and then um, also, Carson, our lawyer, is doing because he was the one who helped with all the contract negotiations. So, yeah. Um, but being there was phenomenal. Uh, we got to meet all these high-level executives, and they were all curious. Most of them curious. Not yeah. ESPN wasn't quite on esports at the time about what we were doing. We got to build a partnership with Maker Studios before they shut down, and that partnership was huge for us. They gave us a ton of intros. And when Maker Studios kind of uh, you know was slowly absorbed into Disney, and they stopped running their traditional business we were able to take on a few of those accounts as well. So it was a win across the board and, and truthfully a life-changing experience. I wish that Disney was more open to working with small businesses, but I also don't blame them. You know, they invested in Epic Studios and once you do that, you know, you get hooked on that type yep. of yep. where you want to be for the rest of your investing history. So we were very fortunate. We got to go in at the right time, but that's just a perfect example of luck being that combination of hard work and opportunity and and i really really like that you know from my perspective we were very lucky but we also worked very hard we went to an accelerator called 500 startups which i mentioned earlier mm -hmm. believed in us then and we left with an audi email. not a lot of people can do that but we did it because we sent out a thousand emails a week so sure we were very lucky to get into the disney accelerator but even if we hadn't gotten into there we would have figured it out from my perspective yeah so can you can we talk a little bit about persistence because it, this all started with those 15 phone calls to American Airlines and then you're talking about these thousands of emails I I imagine somebody listening to this and they're like okay I want to start a business but then they there's that point that you get where it's like okay now I have to sell my product or my service and I've been there and it's like man I have to sell I have to send like 100 emails today or make 100 phone calls today that is daunting so how do you what do you tell yourself or how do you go through that I've had the days where it's like, man, all I got were no's today. Well, how do you deal with that rejection and still be persistent through it all? I think it's a personality thing, but I have great news for those of you who don't think you're sellers. Anyone can be a seller, and I'll talk about it in just a second as to why that's the case. Um, in my case, I, I'm a very annoying person. <laughs> I bug the heck out of everyone. I'm the person who always decides what we're doing on the weekends and bothers everyone until they're there. Uh, when I'm interested in something, it's the only thing I want to focus my energy on constantly. For a long time, when I was starting at her, I wasn't that interested in business. I was terrified. Yeah. Many people like yourself, the work every day felt daunting. And it took a lot of time to really trick my brain into starting to feel it as an addiction, as the focus of all of my energy. But once that was turned on, which it was, I would say, about the first month into the Disney Accelerator is when that switch started to really occur. So it was even later in my story than most people think. 
then it was really easy. Then everything was going on. Before then, every day was a struggle. And I wish back then I knew what I know today. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Anyone could sell if they realize these two things. The first is the following. This is just called uh, the law of averages, which basically states that if you get enough no's, eventually you get a yes. That's because of 300 people, two to five of them are going to be very similar to you. And those two to five are going to have similar interests. So if you get in front of those two to five, they'll probably say yes. They'll probably be interested in working with you. The problem is you have to get through the other 95, 98 mm-hmm. rejections. And that's really tough for people. Super tough. Uh, of course, eventually when you reach those two to five, then they tell their friends who are also similar to them about you. And then it starts to get that network effect. So it does get easier. The second bit of advice, and I think this is also really, really impactful, is that the best sellers in the world are experts, but they're not total experts. And that's why you're so, so fortunate when you're starting off a business to not be a total expert. Yeah. You want to sell your product, you have to remember what it was like to be interested in that product before you knew everything about it. At this point, I know everything about my business. So anytime I go into a meeting, I have to reset and say, okay, if I'm a stranger to gaming, what are the things I need to understand in order to find this fascinating, in order to understand the passion totally. that I feel for the ecosystem? Well, early on in your startup, believe it or not, you know like very little about Yep. I think you know everything, you know yep. nothing, right? Like everyone knows that early on you think you know nothing, then you think you know everything and you actually know nothing and then you finally learn something, right? Yep. And in those first two stages, you're really in a great spot to sell because you're in touch with the average customer. So if you just talk to them, your enthusiasm for your project will be contagious, and people will be excited to work with you just because of that, because you're the best person to go out and sell your product when you know a little bit about it, but not too much. Yep. It'll get much harder as you become more informed about your project. And that's why I always encourage people, sell now, not tomorrow. Go out and find out if people care about your product early on. Don't invest a ton of time and energy into a project, become such a niche expert into it, and then find out that you can't express it to the average person. I love that. I love that. There's, there's so much there. Like that law of averages, it's so hard because how, I mean, how that works in reality is, is it's not always you do, if it's 2% or 5%, you don't do 20 and then you get one and then you do 20 more, you do 200 and then maybe you get like five and then you do a hundred more and then you get 10 and you're like, oh, this is working, but there's so many no's in between and it hurts, especially when you're starting, you're just like, man, like the, that first no it's like a gunshot wound. You're like, what, what happened? Like I put, my, I put my heart and soul into it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Tough, Here's the thing. It's never been easier to evoke the law of averages than it is today. We have access to email campaigns, chipmunk and a bunch of other ones that are available. We have a product that you're selling through Facebook ads. You can automate the entire process of getting nodes, you know, yep. the fact is it's very easy to get a no. Now it used to be a lot harder. Yeah. You're in the service business. You know, many of your, uh, your listeners, if they're a little older, might remember knocking on the door when they were younger and asking to mow the lawn. Yep. That is tough. When you yeah. get in person, though, yep. oh, that is rough. You know, a lot of gurus on the internet will say a lot of BS, but one thing that they say that's very, very true is that fundamentally the best way to learn to sell is to be someone who sells things door to door. Because once you face rejection that many times, You'll get comfortable with rejection. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, online, it doesn't need to be as painful because most of the rejections will just be people not even responding to it. Yep. So. Yeah, which is, which is like, 
it's super nice because there's nothing like getting a door slammed in your face. <laughs> so but, but then there's also the like, man, I wasn't even worth a reply. That one kind of hurts too. So it's it's a, a double bladed sword. Send enough emails to you to the point where you don't remember every single email you sent. You know, there you go. And then you don't remember the people who reject you. Oh yeah, I love that. Well, this has been incredibly informative. I want to just talk a little bit before we go. We're coming up on time. I'd like to talk to you about what you do in your personal time, because I think that's really indicative of, I don't know. I've talked to a lot of people that are really successful professionally, and they also are like super interested in like some weird topic that has nothing to do with what they do. And in doing some research, I saw that you're interested in in personal finance and property management and trying new food. Could you just tell me, maybe just pick one and tell me how you got into that and why it's interesting to you and, and what that's been like, what that adds to your life. I can tell you about all three really quickly because they all have a, like similarity, which is I am obsessed with being the best at this. I've always been that way. I was a competitive swing dancer when I was younger, simply because I felt really uncomfortable on the dance floor. And I was like, I want to get good at this. Yeah. And I play a ton of competitive magic gathering, which is a very popular card game only because the first time I played with my friends, I got destroyed and I wanted to <laughs> people will tell you this when they're entrepreneurs the obsession with being great at something is what drives us yep i love cooking because i love eat, unfortunately not a great <laughs> habit to have when you sit what i love more than anything about cooking is finding perfect recipes i've become i've become obsessed with figuring out how yeah. to make the perfect steak figuring out how to make the perfect sandwich these things bring me a lot of joy because there's a of expertise that comes with making something really really well you know, my philosophy towards cooking is pretty much my philosophy towards everything, which is that if you go to a restaurant, you might get good food, but the chef will never give you a perfect meal. They have to cook a hundred of those meals an hour. There's no way your meal is going to be, might be 98% to perfect. So if you want to make, do something perfectly, you got to do it yourself. And that's why I really love cooking. That's why I love personal finance. That's why I don't have a financial investor. I invest by myself because if you want to be the best at something, you got to do it yourself. When you start a business, you can't just wait for you know the heavens above to give you the success that you want. Yep. You go out and act, and that same pervasive perspective that I want to be the best at everything that I do. That I think is really true to pretty much every entrepreneur. Not everyone in life needs to start their own business. Not everyone in life wants to start their own business. But I think one communal trait for those of us who do is the incessant desire to be the absolute best at the things that we enjoy. I love that. Well, this has been incredibly inspiring and informative. I'll be honest, I had no idea what it would be like to talk to you because like I said, I know nothing about gaming, not super interested in it, to be honest. Like, I'm just like, that's not, I, I didn't really grow up with games or anything like that. So I don't like, I hated playing video games in my friend's house because I didn't have any at home. And so I was just the guy in the corner, like trying to figure out how to turn around. Um, so like, I just have, I'm a little jaded there, but this has been so cool. I learned so much and I really appreciate you sharing your time. I think that there's so many super actionable things that, that you've said today that like, I'm really going to be thinking about and I'm excited to listen to this over and our listeners are going to get a ton out of this. If people want to learn more about you or, or connect with you or follow you on, on social media or something like that, is there a way they can do that? Yeah, the absolute easiest is to follow me on LinkedIn or just add me on LinkedIn, Justin underscore Warden. Follow me at, at, on Twitter at the same, Justin underscore Warden. 
I'm also verified on TikTok. I have 500 followers. So if you awesome. want to be 500, number one, jump on there. I do give some business advice there. Truthfully, I respond to pretty much every email I get every day. So I'm very open. I, you know, from my perspective, entrepreneurship is like a family in the sense that we all need to work and look out for each other because the truth is that early on, no one else is looking out for us. Yep. So you know, I really appreciate you bringing me on to the podcast today. It was really, really a lot of fun. And it was actually a nice change of pace because usually I get on these podcasts to get super gaming focused really quickly. And that's everything that I do every day. So yep. it's nice to you know, have a breath of fresh air. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And you take care, Justin. You guys have a good one. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Reach out to Justin, give him a follow if you're interested in what he's doing or learning about the work that he's doing. And thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep building.